Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Paul Hurst Ipswich to my Kieran McKenna Ipswich. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm, I'm very good, thanks. It's been, I didn't realise it was a bank holiday weekend, um, which is which is great. And we've got several bank holiday weekends throughout May, so I can't really complain, which means there's a lot of football going on as well. So it's just a good month, I think, and a good day today. There's a lot of football going on, Justin, but not for much longer. This is the second last weekend of the season, which I'm just really sad about, really. In fact, it's the last game. It's the last weekend of the season where we've got games on a Saturday, isn't it? Mm. Because then all the games, for anyone who hasn't realised, which I think quite a few people haven't, all the games from the final day of the season are on the Monday, next Monday, aren't they? Why? That's the question. Why? Isn't it the coronation next Monday as well? No, Justin, this is where you're getting it wrong. The coronation yeah. is on the Saturday, and because we've got a bank holiday there, oh. all the games have been moved to the Monday, see? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Are you going to swear your allegiance, by the way, to to the to the monarch? I am happy for whatever overlord we have in charge of us to <laughs> swear that my allegiance to. Neil I'm Warnock. Just... Neil Warnock, yeah. I, I'd love to see Neil Warnock <laughs> as king of the country. That'd be, that'd be bloody brilliant, wouldn't it? He basically is anyway after after what he's done this weekend, which I'm sure we'll get on to at some yeah, point. we absolutely will. You've got to fucking die for the crown. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship. As we say, the second last game week of the championship season. So as you can imagine, there's plenty on the line. So we'll talk about all the games, what the state of things are as we head into the final day of the season. Talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. And then we'll finish off with Lee Camp's championship tennis right at the end. So two first off goals saw Coventry ease past Birmingham. It finished 2-0. Coventry scored in the first couple of minutes from Josh Eccles after some great work by Victor Jokeres down the left-hand side. Cov then got a penalty through a very discreet handball by Jordan James, which they scored. After that, it was pretty much plain sailing. Birmingham pressed on in the second half with nothing to lose. They came close by hitting the bar through Janino Bakuna. Overall, though, a big win for Coventry in front of their biggest ever crowd at the CBS Arena. 30,000 people were there, Justin. But, as I say, a huge, huge victory for the Sky Blues. Massively significant. I was really impressed with them. They took control pretty much straight away in the game, which is, is, is what you need. Because I sometimes feel that... When it's a big sellout crowd, on some occasions, it can really take the zip out of a game. and There'd be a bit of tension in the air, as has been in quite a few games this weekend. But Coventry sort of battered that aside very quickly. They were straight into it. And as I said, they took control. And obviously going 1-0 up after three minutes was a perfect tonic. Took charge, 
and built and built from there. They were they were brilliant, and we need to keep bearing in mind they are missing Callum O'Hare, Casey Palmer, Ben Sheaf, some really key players. Well, the key players in that team or key creative players, as um, as I say, and there's still fluid going forwards, and they were they were great here. It was a really good performance and a really good result. Took took the goals, took the goals well, um, defended well, managed the game well. There was just a lot of positives, which is exactly what you need when you're going into the playoffs. Fichiokaras has now got double figures for both goals and assists. He's one of only two players who have managed to do it this season. And I think it shows what an all-round striker he is. It's all well and good being able to score goals. That is quite a key component of a, of a striker's game. But he brings so much more to Coventry going forwards. He's, he's got the pace, he's got the strength, but it's his dribbling which I find the most impressive thing about his game. You wouldn't necessarily expect a six foot two striker in the <laughs> championship to be very good at running at defenders, but he is. He's probably one of the best in the division at it. And that's where a lot of his assists have come from, isn't it? Him running at goal and then cutting it back to a teammate from the bide line or just getting to the corner of the box and then just flashing it across like he did for Josh Eccles in this game. When you've got as much in your locker as he does, it becomes pretty clear that he's a Premier League player. And the only criticism I've got of him is that he should have scored about five in the last two games alone, but he's only got the one to his name. So he's a top flight player. And I'd be surprised if he's not playing in the Prem next season with or without Coventry City. But let's look at the table, Justin. And it's looking very good for Mark Robbins' boys, isn't it? They're fifth, three points clear of seventh place. Essentially got one hand on a playoff place, haven't they? I would I would argue that yes again not going to rule any late drama out on the final day of the season I'm sure there'll be a few positions changing throughout the uh, the 90 minutes from yeah from the 3 p.m. kickoffs uh, on the on the Monday but I think they've put themselves in it the strongest position they possibly can they've as you say got one hand on it they are performing incredibly well they have got a tough game uh, it's against Middlesbrough isn't it on the on the final day which You'd be hoping that Middlesbrough might make a few changes. I know the Middlesbrough have got quite a few injuries, but whether that massively impacts them, it remains to be seen. But they'll be one. They'll be wanting to go into the playoffs in form, so they're not going to want to sort of make it easy for Coventry. But at the end of the day, I think Coventry only need a point. I'm just going to try and get my maths pretty spot on. But you're right. Whatever the case, they're in the driving seat. They're keeping clean sheets. They've got Giocres in form. Other players are coming into form as well. Josh Heckles obviously scored, but he's been brilliant since January. Um, defensively, again, they're, they're superb. There's just a lot of positives, and I think form-wise, the form-wise is the big driver. They're getting results, and the performance is justifying it. They're not stuttering into the playoffs. They're one of the form teams going in, which is uh, yeah. yeah, massive. Yeah, spot on. And what I'm about to say is all on the assumption that Blackburn won't win against Luton on Monday night, because that would change things quite drastically. But if they don't... Coventry would just have to avoid defeat on the final day. That's all they'd have to do. And that is a great position for them to head into the final day with. The issue is, as you say, they're away at Middlesbrough, which isn't an ideal last day, last game of the season, is it? Even though Middlesbrough have got their playoff place in the back pocket now. So if Coventry lose, Sunderland just have to win because their goal difference is almost the same as Coventry's. West Brom could catch them, but it would take a five-goal swing they're more likely to overtake Millwall, I think West Brom are. So I think the good thing is for Coventry is there's two playoff, spaces, playoff spots available. If it was just the one, 
I'd be a bit nervy. But they've got the other one to fall back on because, say, for example, Coventry don't uh, where Coventry lose to Middlesbrough and then Sunderland win, they've still got the chance that one of the other teams may not do the business themselves. So they're in a very good position, our Coventry, haven't they? And even that, it's all set up very nicely for them as we are headed towards that final day of the season. Let's have a quick word on Birmingham just in their season. It's been over for a while now, so they're looking to the future. And so is John Eustace, seemingly. He says the club must build around its teenage midfield trio of Jordan James, George Hall and Joby Belligan. What do you think about that? completely agree with him. They've got a really good cohort of youngsters coming through in those three. They've got Tahith Chong. They, you know, there are some experienced players in there as well, like Mark Roberts. Um, Troy Dean is still there and obviously the Duke as well. So you've got to build around those players. They've got a squad at the moment that doesn't have too many players in their peak that are there permanently. Obviously, the likes of Austin Trusty, they're going to be leaving, going back to their parent club. Uh, Bielik as well and Hannibal, they're going to be going back to their parent club. So it's 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 a massive summer again and one you'd expect to be batting against Birmingham in the sense that looking at the squad you know, after the final day of the season, it's looking quite weak again. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's a huge, huge summer and you know, you just rightly points out building around those those you know, talented youngsters coming through is massive, but you've got to get players coming in within their peak years to to ensure that Birmingham don't have a a, a, you know, a poor season. That's that's the big thing. It's it's yeah crunch crunch time for them. Yeah, spot on. The thing is, you've got these three talented youngsters, and that's a great position to be in as a football club. But you can't be relying on them to be the midfield trio next season, can you? Because they're just so inexperienced that I think they'll be unwise. So they'd have to bring in some more midfield reinforcements to kind of facilitate those young lads. I think Joe B. Bellingham will steal the headlines for the obvious reasons. But for me, George Hall is the best mm-hmm. one out of the three. He's played the most minutes for them this season. Doesn't look out of place at all in the championship, despite only turning 19 this summer. He's brilliant at running with the ball. I like his bravery when it comes to taking chances and trying to make something happen. So he's the most impressive one for me. And I know some big clubs have been keeping an eye on him. So I think he'll end up being the best out of the three. But hopefully he sticks around with Birmingham next season because all he needs at this stage is just to be playing regular football. And he's getting that at Birmingham, into A 95th minute equaliser from Patrick Roberts saw Sunderland come from two goals down to draw 2-2 with Watford. What a goal! That was Justin. That late in the game, 40,000 plus in the stadium, a playoff place at stake. Patrick Roberts, you've got some bollocks on your son. What And a wonderful left foot seemingly as well, because that is an incredible finish. We've seen Manuel Benson do it several times for Burnley and even again this weekend. But Patrick Roberts had to do it as well, to do it even more emphatically because the height on that ball and then the sharp dip... No, no goalkeeper was saving it, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I genuinely reinforced that statement that no goalkeeper will save that shot. And as you say, as to do that in the 95th minute, to have that level of quality and composure to be able to strike the ball that that um, that true and to get that dip on it is astonishing. It's a uh, you know a massive, massive result for something that keeps them in the hunt. Needed to. It, you know, it was, it was a dominating performance that that needed that little bit of spark that Roberts provided. Just a shame that it came that uh, that late in the game. But yeah, can't take anything away from that. That was an, an unreal, 
Unreal strike. Another goal better than Ismaila Sars, by the way. <laughs> I'm a, I'm not disappointed that it came that late in the game, Justin, just because it led to even better limbs than it would have if it was about 10 minutes earlier or so. I don't think he could have placed it any better either. If Even if he walked up to the goal and threw it in with his hands, I don't think he could have placed it any better than he did with that left foot. The most telling thing for me is Daniel Backman in the Watford goal looks as if he thinks it's going over because he doesn't really make an attempt to stop it, does he? But just a remarkable strike where... If you're in the opposition, you just stand there and go, well, shit, because there's not much you can do from a just spectacular strike like that one, can you? This result will feel like a win because of the way it ended. But really, a draw is quite a disappointing result for Sunderland. Watford have been woeful now for a long time. And if Sunderland won, they'd head into the final day, sat in the playoffs. That goal could be huge, though. If it hadn't have gone in, they'd have only been able to catch Millwall on the final day. That equaliser means you've got two playoff places in their sights still. How do you rate their chances, Justin? It's it's, it's really difficult just because just because they they're not in the driving seat. They're not in the playoff places at the moment. Millwall are a good side. They showed that against Blackpool. Coventry are a good good side. They showed that this weekend as well. Sunderland are there or thereabouts. It's really difficult to say whether they can whether they can achieve it. And I think it lends into what I've been saying about Mirabur and Sunderland over the past few weeks, whether they're why they've been underachieving. It's probably a poor phrase to use on reflection, but their home form is a, is a big letdown as to why they might not make the playoffs this season. Um, Reading, Rotherham Hall, Bristol City—they've all got better home form than Sunderland this season. It's their away form that is the 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 big plus. That being said, that might play into their hands because on the final day, I think they go away to Preston. Preston, which is a very good game to have, especially with Sunderland's away record and Preston seemingly looking fairly weak at the back. So that could be a three points, but you're you know, you're wanting Millwall and and um, Millwall and Coventry to drop points, which. They're two sides that don't do that very often. So maybe 30% chance of them finishing the top six at this point. Don't know. Yeah, well, Sunderland have got Preston on the final day, as you say, away. Out of the teams around them who are still aiming for a playoff place, they've probably got the most winnable game because Preston's form has tailed off and Sunderland are one of the best sides away from home in the whole division. You look at the other teams, Coventry have got a very tricky game away at Middlesbrough. West Brom are facing an informed Swansea. Millwall and Blackburn are facing each other. So Sunderland head into the final day with a cracking chance of getting a playoff spot. Of course, they need results to go their way elsewhere. But looking at those other games, you'd say there's a very good chance of that happening. Sunderland just have to focus on themselves and make sure they get the business done. And then, fingers crossed, that it works out the way elsewhere. Final point for Sunderland. You know they've had a lot of injuries recently. Well, they've got another one, but it's not someone you'd expect. Tony Mowbray has revealed he's done his hamstrings celebrating the Sunderland equaliser, but he's confirmed he'll still be there for the Preston game on the final day, which is good news. João Pedro wasn't in the squad for Watford here ahead of an expected move to Brighton. More on that in the news. Watford showed a bit more fight than what we've seen recently, though. And that's the least we'd expect, considering how poor they've been in recent months. Might be a bit pointless asking this, Justin, because it's almost certainly not going to happen. But if it was up to you, would you give Chris Wilder a go next season as manager? I'd have kept Rob Edwards in charge. I'd have, you know, it's one of those with Watford where you think a manager is a good fit. 
and the ownership of things completely different. Um, I'm of the opinion that if they're going to bring someone in, they, they really need to commit to him. And I don't think the board really want to commit to him. The speculation of a new manager, um, I can't remember the guy's name from Italy, but there's obviously been Farioli. speculation. Farioli. There's, there's been a lot of speculation. Farioli Dolby. Um, there's been a lot of speculation linking a new manager to Watford, which doesn't exactly breathe confidence that the board are backing Wilder past his contract this summer. So I would say move on. I think Wilder doesn't want to be there either. I think a manager who lays into a team as much as he's done over the past few weeks isn't a big fan of them and players aren't necessarily going to be big fans of him either. So probably better to part ways, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, what has Chris Wilder got out of this managerial spell? I don't really see what he's got apart from probably a very healthy pay packet because every post-match interview, he's moaning, isn't he? He's, he's spent every chance that he's had to moan about how the club's being run, moan about the players not being motivated. And his stock has fallen more than when he was at, when before he took the job. Obviously, he didn't, his stock has fallen quite a bit because of that Middlesbrough spell, but now it just seems to have fallen even more. So what has he got out of this, Justin? I don't know. Uh, it's quite nice living down south, isn't it? You're close to London. So if you want to go for a day out, um, on the city, get a nice meal on the Thames. That's that's relatively close. But other than that, uh, there isn't much, is there? No. Even that's no, even I, that's scratching at the yeah. There's no, there's nothing. No, I, I really don't know why he took this job on. I imagine he's probably regretting it quite a lot, and it'll be very interesting to see where Chris Wilder next ends up, assuming he does get another job somewhere. Because I'm not sure what kind of level his next job will be at, whether it will be a mid-table championship side or possibly even lower than that. I don't know. It's really, really strange. But let's move on to Wigan, who have been relegated from the championship. It's after they drew one all with Reading. Reading equalised in the 92nd minute. If Wigan had won, it would have left them with a small but realistic chance of pulling off a great escape. But it wasn't to be. We'll talk more about Reading shortly because they're still in great danger of going down themselves. But with Wigan's relegation now confirmed, how do you think they'll do back in League One, Justin? I think they've got a good squad for League One. When you compare it to that of Ipswich, for example, it's a lot you know, significantly weaker, but it's going to be hard to compete with the finances that uh, Ipswich do uh, in that division. But then you compare it to the likes of Derby, Sheffield Wednesdays, um, other other teams down there, Barnsley, Bolton. They've got a good squad and I think they've got a good squad to be more competitive in the Championship than they were this season. They just seemingly, it's just that appointment of Torre just completely faffed them really. There's no other way of explaining it. It's shafted them massively, really bad decision. But Maloney's shown that he can get a fair bit out of this team at Championship level. I'd expect him to do the same in League One. You look at Josh McGuinness, for example. He's a fairly decent goal scorer in, at League One. Not very good at Championship level, but he's a good goal scorer at League One. So if they're going down with him, there's a good chance they're getting goals. And you've got Callum Lang and Will Keane, who are you know, both decent players. Certainly you're going to be good, good enough in, in League One again. So, yeah, I would rank his chances of bringing the team back up quite high. I would make them one of the favourites to come back up next season. I would assume there'd be some movement in the transfer market as well. I would hope, but again, with the board, really hard to judge whether that's going to be the case. The sad thing about Wigan's relegation is it's easy to forget that they could very well get sent down because the owners failed to pay the players. 
if it wasn't for that points deduction, they'd be heading into the final day full of hope, full of hope that they could still survive. So incompetence at the top is the main factor sending them down, whether that be failing to pay the players, managerial changes or transfers. And the thing is, the people at the top of the club are still going to be there next season. Mel Brannigan's gone, the club CEO, but I can still see these owners making mistakes along the way and that may cost them. Having said that, Sean Maloney is proving to be a good manager. They've looked a lot more competitive under him, particularly defensively. If Will Keane continues to score goals, Callum Lang finds form again, then they should have enough firepower at League One level at the other end. So I think they'll need to strengthen in some areas and that's the issue for me. I'm not sure what Wigan's finances are like. If they've been failing to pay player wages this season, can they afford to bring in three or four players this summer? Will those players want to move to a club who has previous for failing to pay players? I'm not really sure. So it is worth remembering as well that if they don't pay the wages again on time before the end of the year, that's another points deduction because they've got a suspended points deduction until the 31st of December. So how will Wigan do in League One? I'd be a lot more confident if they had different owners in charge because heading into League One, I'm not too sure on them right now. Now, Reading could be relegated this week, depending on how results go. If Huddersfield lose to Sheffield United in midweek, it sets up a very tasty final day game against the Terriers, which is absolutely mouthwatering. And from a neutral perspective, I am desperate, Justin, for Sheffield United to win. We need it, don't we? Uh, this is not, this is not an, an agenda, by the way. This is purely for the spectacle. This is for the football fan. It's not going to do any good to Huddersfield fans who need who need their nerves settling. We want we we need a Sheffield United win to to give us some it to to taste at the weekend. But I think it just goes to show what a good job um, Neil Warnock's done at Huddersfield. I know it's, we're talking about Reading, but Reading was so far ahead of them sort of January time and then it's, the drop off is just absolutely monumental and again that is not a decision not to um, remove Ince earlier than they did it's proving costly I know the six points isn't ideal but it's those those running games where, where they weren't picking up any points where they weren't creating any chances is really putting pay to their championship survival at the moment and it just goes to show how desperate the situation is at the moment as well they're relying on other teams doing them favours it's such a drop off to what it was a couple of years ago under Palinovich. Massive drop off. Got to keep in mind the points deduction has played a huge part and may ultimately be the thing that sees them down. But certainly not looking good from a Reading perspective. But it would be very nice if we could have that final day game between them and Huddersfield. Rotherham could still go down, of course. We can't forget that. A lot depends on their results on Monday night. If they avoid defeat, they're virtually fine. But would add a little bit of spice if they're in the mix on the final day too, wouldn't it? Blackpool have been relegated after losing 3-2 to Millwall. Not too surprising. This has been on the cards for a while now, hasn't it? You look at Blackpool's form since the turn of the year. An incredible amount of L's. 12 losses in 20. It's just been a very poor season, hasn't it? And as we were saying before, they've... Now, they've not really been dreadful. They've just been consistently poor all season. And it would be unfair not to point out that Blackpool have one of, if not the lowest budgets in the division. But a lot of bad decisions have also led to this point. The big question is now, Justin, how will they do in League One? 
again, it's, it's hard to say. They've got a good squad, but that manager appointment is going to be absolutely huge. Um, uh, it's, it's worth recognising that Neil that, uh, Neil Critchley leaving when he did last summer really put a blow to their hopes of staying in the championship. It removed any optimism, I imagine, from a lot of people. Um, and as well as that, they've, they've invested a lot of money in the infrastructure, which meant the squad probably um, was not neglected, but put to the side a little bit while the club invested in that in- infrastructure. So there's a lot of unsettling movement there. If they go into this summer clean... Um, and they recruit defense defensively. They retain the likes of Jerry Yates, uh, get Kesh Anderson a new contract. I would feel quite confident confident in them competing to get promoted once again because they've got a good squad. They've got a good attack. They showed it in, in this game against um, Millwall. They were fantastic going forwards at times. Are they going to retain some of those loan players? Most definitely not in in League One. But they've shown that under Dobby, especially that they can they can create chances. So. Going forwards, uh, they they look a good outfit. It's just defensively they worry me a little bit. And if they can get reinforcements in, maybe, but probably certainly a challenger for the top six. That's how I'd coin them at the moment. I don't think we'll be seeing Blackpool in the championship for a while. Their most eye-catching players this season are all on loan. The likes of Morgan Rogers, Josh Boulder's kind of underwhelmed quite a bit since coming in. Lewis Fiorini, when he's been fit, has been really good. And Charlie Patino has looked very sharp, um, despite being such a young lad. And then it, it looks like Jerry Yates will very likely leave. The squad that's left over, not great. So they're going to have to do a lot of very good recruitment. And Blackpool aren't a side with a big budget. There's a lot of teams also down in League One who have more resources than Blackpool. So... It's difficult to see them bouncing back anytime soon. They need to get the manager sorted out first, of course. I'm not sure whether they'll go with Stephen Dobby or not. I think they should. He's been the best manager this season, so they may as well give him the chance. Even then, there's a lot of work to do to get this club back to a stage where it's even close to being ready to push for promotion back to the championship. So I'm not sure we'll be commentating on Justin uh, on Blackpool Justin very soon, unfortunately. Millwall jumped back into the playoff places with this result, which they desperately needed. Tom Bradshaw scored a brace here. He's now on 17 goals for the season, joint fifth top goal scorer. Strange, really, because I still can't really work out whether I rate him as a striker or not. He's had a good season, though. Interestingly, Millwall are the only side in the championship to have two players who have scored 15 goals or more this season. The aforementioned Bradshaw and Zian Fleming as well with a penalty against Blackpool. Bit of a mixed stat for them, really, isn't it? Because it's always great having two players firing, but they're the 11th highest scorers in the division as a team. So also shows how reliant they've been on those two for goals this season. How do you rate Millwall's playoff chances then, Justin? You've got Blackpool at Blackburn on the final day. They'll, well, Blackburn will either be virtually out of the playoff race or well and truly in it, depending on their result against Luton on Monday. But Millwall have a great chance of getting in there, don't they, after a bit of a wobble? Big atmosphere at the Den, young Blackburn squad. Um, Blackburn may well be out of the race by then. You'd make Millwall heavy favourites going into that game. That being said, I've said it before, I refuse to properly properly, um, predict what's going to happen, but I would give Millwall a a very high chance, a much higher chance than the likes of Sunderland, West Brom and Blackburn of finishing in the top six because what they showed against Blackpool was something that they've missed 
for quite a few weeks now is they had a go. They had a real go. They they showcased their attacking potential that they've got. They created a, a, you know, a massive number of chances. Tom Bradshaw instinctively finishing two of those chances, whether or not you agree or, or disagree, whether or not he's a good finisher or not, um, remains to be seen. But he's, he's shown that he is, he is capable. Was Ian Fleming um, was there or thereabouts as well. So there was a lot of positives there for Millwall to take out that game and take it into the Blackburn game. Blackburn will try and keep the game tight and edgy. Millwall will try and have a go, which could open up for Blackburn. So I would expect at least a draw in Millwall's favour. That might see them over the line depending on results. It's honestly it's a coin toss for quite a few of those teams. It's so hard to predict. It is it is, it is a coin toss, and it's probably a cop out. But I would fancy Millwall more. But as I say, it's so tight, it's ridiculous. I'm not sure a draw would be enough, Justin. Because you look at the table, Mill's goal difference isn't as good as Sunderland's. And then West Brom, if they win and Mill will draw, then West Brom will have a better goal scored than Millwall. So really, Mill will have to go into that final day and win, don't they? Which isn't ideal from their perspective, but we'll have to wait and see. It's so it's so tricky, isn't it, calling that uh, final top six, but we'll have to make some predictions on Thursday's episode, Justin. So make sure you get your, get your arse off that fence. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a big win for Huddersfield on Sunday afternoon and also a big win for West Brom. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. On Sunday afternoon, Huddersfield got a big 2-1 win against Cardiff as they continue to fight to stay up. A game of few chances, really, until Romain Sawyer's played a sloppy back pass, which Huddersfield scored from. I'm still not really sure who was at fault for that one. I think it was a kind of a shared blame around numerous players, that wasn't it. But then Huddersfield scored again before Cardiff pulled one back through a lovely flick by Isaac Davis. Just when we watch Huddersfield, Justin, there's so much more belief and hunger about them now than there was under the previous two managers, wasn't there? It's, I think it's a great example of the man management that Neil Warnock has compared to your average coaches. Because Danny Schofield, Mark Fotheringham, maybe fairly good tacticians. I don't really know. We didn't really see that when they were in charge of Huddersfield. <laughs> no. But in terms of the man management, you can just see a complete... It's a chasm between those two and Neil Warnock's, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. You look at Danny Schofield now, for example, he's struggling at Doncaster. Um, and Mark Fotheringham was, to put it politely, uh, I can't put any, I can't put it politely, actually. He just wasn't a very good manager, tactician, <laughs> or um, well, charismatic. Neil Warnock uses all of those things. Um, and now, don't get me wrong, I think Huddersfield would have gone down if Neil Warnock wasn't appointed. I think if anybody else other than Neil Warnock was appointed... Huddersfield will, will be in the bottom three right now. You can't underestimate how he's changed that team. Josh Caroma is the perfect example of what he's done to change this team. He was a bit part player. Then he was shipped out, shipped off on loan to Portsmouth. Struggled at Portsmouth, came back. And I think everybody expected him. I think Mark Fotheringham maybe even frozen him out or everybody would have expected him not to have any impact at all. Neil Warnock's turned him into one of the form players in the division. He's so good going forwards. He hit the woodwork in this game with a driving run and a you know, really nice, well-hit left-foot shot. 
And I think that's the perfect example of what Neil wants to transform this team. It's just ridiculous. And Matty Pearson coming in, you've shown the solidity he's given aside. You can't underestimate his um, his influence either. It's fantastic, really. It's just fantastic. And it's one of the greatest escapes, I think. Although Huddersfield, I don't think they were bottom when he took over. It is one of the biggest turnarounds in the championship that I can remember. Uh, you know, Maybe as significant as that Rotherham one that he did <laughs> quite a few years ago now. But... It's, it's, it's massive and he's, he's, a, he's a great man, great manager and you can't, as I say, can't underestimate what he's done there. They're not safe just yet, Justin. The escape mm. hasn't been completed just yet because they would have dropped into the bottom three with a loss here, which shows how big a win this was for Huddersfield. They play Sheffield United on Thursday. A point there and they're safe. Reading will be all but relegated if Rotherham avoid defeat on Monday night. If Huddersfield lose on Thursday though, then it could be a straight shootout between Huddersfield and Reading, depending on obviously what happens at Rotherham, which I am desperate to see. I, it would be like a reverse playoff final, wouldn't it? Rotherham, <laughs> ver, Reading versus Huddersfield. I mean, I'd like to see that happen more often anyway, to be honest, Justin. Have, what is it? Have 22nd oh, like play 21st? The Bundesliga, isn't it? They, they yeah. have the a team from the second division playing the team in the, the Premier League as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see that happen anyway. It would be, I think a lot of people would tune in to watch that, wouldn't they? But I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Cardiff managed to secure safety in midweek with their win against Rotherham. So we'll be seeing them again next season. Amongst this, easy to forget that they currently don't have a manager in charge for next season. Sabu Lamushi is only contracted until the summer. He says he's absolutely available to take the job. Would you give it to him, Justin? 100%. I've been really impressed with him. I I, I mean, it's not been a, a massive turnaround in results, but the points he's accrued, the performances they've put in, it, it, they've, they've been good. I know Cabba's been a massive... Um, had a, he's had a massive impact on that, but again, he's not as significant as, as that of Neil Warnock, but I would be looking to, to, to bring someone like Lemushin because he's a good tactician. He's he's found out his best team very very quickly, um, and he's and he's playing a style of play that is it, it does have its risks as we saw in this game, um, but it but it does have rewards. And again, if they can recruit smartly and bring in some creative players and maybe another number nine, um, they they could have a, a better season than the one they've had now. I like Lemouche a lot. I like what he says. He's very honest and direct. I think they need that. I think Lemouche should be in charge next season, but. Even as I say that, I get flashbacks to Forrest starting brilliantly under him and <laughs> being abysmal after that. I think Cardiff will be fighting to stay up again next season. Last year, I was of the opinion that they stayed up because of the loan signings they made. I think it's happened again this season. They've looked a much better side with Sorry Cabba in the team and Jaden Philogene has provided an extra spark in the latter half of the season. Now, it looks as if Sorry Cabba won't be coming back next season, which is a big shame. Jaden Philogene might because he's out of contract at Villa, but I imagine there'll be plenty of interest in him from elsewhere. And Cardiff's recruitment in terms of permanent signings in recent years hasn't been inspiring either. So I struggle to see them moving forwards as a club. When you've got this team which has been on a downwards trajectory like Cardiff have had in the last few years 
I tend to think it's only going to result in one thing eventually, especially with the financial problems the club currently has. There is a lot of debt that Cardiff have and they won't have much room for manoeuvre when it comes to bringing players in. So they've survived this season. I think they'll be in danger again next season, though. West Brom came from a goal down to beat Norwich 2-1 and keep their playoff hopes well and truly alive. A good game, this in the first half. Both keepers were busy. The second half, not so much. What a free kick by Connor Townsend for West Brom. I think it had bonus points added to it because the camera was right behind it when hmm. he struck it, but it's still beautiful from him. West Brom still well in the playoff race, aren't they? At first glance of the table, it looks difficult to actually see them happening, but... When you actually do the maths, it's definitely a possibility. They've got to win no matter what. And then Millwall and Sunderland both have to fail to win. That's not taking into account Blackburn, who essentially have to win on Monday night. But West Brom have a chance, don't they? They do. And again, this is you've got to remember the, the turnaround that they've had to do, the deal, uh, the injuries they've had to deal with as well. It has been a, you know, a, a good spell under, under Carlos Corbin, obviously all the off-the-field off stuff as well. It's not been ideal. Um, so for them to be within a fighting chance, I think is is a success. Probably not the season anybody anyone would have hoped for. And you probably think back to that start of the season when Steve Bruce was in charge, and you think if Corbrand was here, I know it wouldn't have been the case because at Olympiacos. But if Corbrand or someone else was here who could get more out of this team, then maybe just maybe this this uh, West Brom side could have been fighting for the automatics because I think that's the the, the big difference here. That ten games that Bruce was in charge of, um, but they've got a good chance. They've got a great chance. They're relying on other teams dropping points. As I said earlier on in the episode, I think that we'll see teams change quite a few times on the final day of the season. But as long as West Brom win, they're doing all they can. And if they miss out on goal difference or by a point, then so be it. They know where they went wrong. <laughs> That's employing Steve Bruce. Well, yeah, That's. I think we can both agree on that one, Justin. Um is worth saying as well, they can still mathematically catch Coventry, but they're asking for a five-goal swing crazier things have happened if it's West Brom are 2-0 up and then Coventry are 2-0 down then it'll certainly be interesting won't it but uh, we'll have to see how that one goes Norwich's season has finally been taken out into the back garden had done to it what it should have been done quite a while ago for ages we were saying how are Norwich still in the playoff race how are they still so high in the table well not the case anymore they're actually 12th a 12th placed finish at the beginning of the season, Justin, would have been viewed as a massive failure from a Norwich point of view, wouldn't it? And that's ultimately what the season has been. I think, uh, well, thinking back, I had Norwich as my biggest underachievers from teams coming down from the Premier League. And my God, have they uh, have they achieved that status? It is, it's been a bad season, hasn't it? I remember having a, a debate with um, a Norwich supporter at the start of the season, actually, about Carlton Morris and whether he should be in this Norwich team ahead of the likes of Josh Sargent and Timmy Pukie and my argument was that he should have been um, and obviously it just goes to show how bad the recruitment has been is, is my point and, and how you know the lack of goals and lack of you know, consistent goal scorers has been a key issue for Norwich this season but yeah it's, it's, it's staggering really and the lack of leadership as well from the club is, is really striking for me the reaction at the end of the game from Norwich supporters I think is a culmination of the frustration at what is a directionless club Stuart Webber spoke in January about making an appointment the fans can get behind, but he appointed his friend, and he he, he now Wagner that is he has a worse record than than Dean Smith. It's just yeah, astonishing, really, and they're probably in a position where they could be overtaken by Ipswich next season, which I wouldn't be surprised by because Ipswich are looking like a better run club at the moment with a lot more ambition than what Norwich have. So 
that is that is the key worry for me there's a lot of big decisions that need to be made this summer that have to be made there has to be leadership there has to be a voice from the top if there isn't they will get left behind yeah, they need to press the reset button. And I've said numerous times over recent weeks that they need to get rid of Stuart Webber as sporting director. That point still stands. I think we could be seeing Norwich in the championship for quite some time. They need to transition from whatever state this is that they're in now into something else. And I'd like to see them base their future around the youngsters. Norwich have had a great academy for many years now. It's one of the best in the country for the size of the club. So... Put the young players at the forefront of the project going forwards. Omar Bomadelli, Sam McCullum, Liam Gibbs. Make these lads permanent fixtures in the Norwich team next season. Get rid of the high earners who have had their day and just move forward. You've still got players like Max Aarons, who's top quality. Josh Sargent, I imagine, will still be there next season. Not sure about Adam Eder, but hopefully he's got more to give as well. So that's what I'd be doing if I was in charge of Norwich. Focusing on signing players from abroad has had very mixed results. It's time to change tact and start focusing on what you've got there at the club already. QPR have won back-to-back games. What on earth? It's after they beat Stoke 1-0. The average possession in these two wins has been 19.5%. Over the two games, they've had 10 shots. Is this the most unconvincing back-to-back wins ever by a football team, Justin? <laughs> it's pretty harsh to say, but you'd, you'd argue that is the case. I think Stoke had a couple of really good chances, didn't they? Um, where they, I think they hit the post and Dieng made a save quite low. There's a bit of a scramble in the box and that just goes to show some of the look you need in football. But listen, they, they, they are hard working wins I think would be the the way to coin them to way to phrase them to have that little possession to take your chances when they come you've got to work hard for them and that uh, you've got to earn your look I think would be the cliche but fair play to them I think it's admirable I'm not convinced by Ainsworth and I've got a lot to say about him which hopefully I'll be able to to chime out um, during this during this segment but yeah it was a, a good win but one I'm still not convinced by Justin by all means chime out okay righto righto let's let's fly in with this I think Gareth Ainsworth's the living depiction of that Simpsons meme where Barney says to Leonard Nimoy, you didn't do anything. And then Leonard Nimoy goes, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> because the points that have kept QPR in this division are the points that have been accrued by Mick Beale. And I know QPR fans won't want to hear, uh, hear that, but that for me is the case. I really worry for QPR under Ainsworth. And he said in his post-match presser that he wanted to make the team defensively better and he said that he achieved that. I disagree monumentally. I cannot describe how bad a statement that is coming from a manager who has managed a team who have conceded over 2xG in four of the last six games. They've got results. You've got to grant that team have worked hard for them. But he's, team, he's turned his team from an attacking, exciting team that wasn't getting results. I know that it needed a change, but this is the change. This is what's going to happen under Gareth Ainsworth going forwards. You're more likely going to lose Chris Willock and Elias Chair. It's not going to get better for me. It's only going to get worse under Gareth Ainsworth. And the more, the more he gets time, the more he's going to do damage to the team and the club that's been built on a philosophy that is completely different to the one that Ainsworth wants to push out. Yeah, well, I suppose Ainsworth deserves a bit of credit because he was tasked with keeping QPR up and they've done it. How much of an impact he actually had, I'm not too sure. But they've crawled over the line with both their legs missing. But they got there and that's all that matters. They're playing the worst football of the season under him. And I mean that in terms of results and style. 
Against Stoke, no player completed more than 10 accurate passes. This is the same side that was playing lovely football under Mark Warburton this time last year. And even under Mick Beale six or seven months ago. And yes, I know possession doesn't really mean much in modern football, but if you're only averaging six shots a game like they have been over their last four matches, you'll do lucky to stay up. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be this way. QPR were excellent under Mick Beale. So he's shown the potential of this side Unfortunately, under Ainsworth, I can't see them being anything other than relegation battlers. And what I can see happening is they signed a bunch of players this summer who are suited to how he wants to play. Most likely all over six foot two and built like brick shithouses. And then things don't go well at the start of next season. He gets sacked and QPR left with half a squad made for direct football and a squad made for playing it on the ground. And I'm very worried about QPR next season. They may have survived this season, but there's a lot of problems still at that club. Stoke have had a really bad end to the season, haven't they? I think it was summed up perfectly by the lap of appreciation after the game where the team went around the pitch and the ground was essentially empty. I mean, what were they expecting? There were loud boos after the game as well before they all left the stadium. It's just two points from a possible 18 for them. And... I mean, an incredibly underwhelming and dull season for them, isn't it? Preston's playoff hopes are now officially over. It's after they were thumped 4-1 away at Sheffield United. The Blades proving that it's possible to still play well despite a hangover. And boy, did they play well, possibly even their best performance this calendar year. It was simply a very good day for the Blades. Seven wins from eight for them. When you have three spells like that in a season where you win nearly every game, you're not going to be far off the top two. And they've tied up promotion in some style, haven't they? They really have. I was. This is probably one of the surprise results of the weekend for me, just because I expected Preston to put up, I wouldn't say put up more of a fight, but be, be a lot more organised and solid than they were. It was a really poor performance from them, but Sheffield United exploited it as good teams do. My God, did they exploit it. Jebison was Daniel Jebison was brilliant on the break. And that's all Sheffield United had to do. They had to soak up the pressure and just break because Jebison every time fouled himself in six, seven, eight yards of open space to drive into. And he did the damage by picking out the right passes and that's all they had to do. And I think that just goes to show the quality that Sheffield United have and the way that Preston need to go. It's a long way for them for me, for them to be to to being uh, top six contenders. Ryan Lowe was angry after the game and you could see why because it really was a performance where they just rolled over and allowed Sheffield United to tickle tickle their bellies hope they enjoyed that bit at least <laughs> Ilman Ndai joins Victor Jokeres as only one of two players in the championship to have double figures for goals and assists this season if Sheffield United win their two remaining games they'll have 94 points which will be the biggest tally of any second place team in championship history and in fact 94 points would have been enough to win the league in 10 of the previous 18 seasons. So it says a lot about the standard them and Burnley have set this season, doesn't it? Preston's playoff hopes are officially over now, but don't let that take away from what has been a good season for them. A top-half finish, which should happen at this point, will be a season of overachievement. The squad's not great. I've said that multiple times. So Ryan Lowe has done really well to get them to the stage where they had a realistic chance of getting... A playoff place. And I mean, one point from the last four games isn't great. But imagine if you said at the start of the season that Preston could finish above Norwich and Watford. Two teams with much bigger budgets than them. So it's really good. And as long as Ryan Lowe is at the helm, I think Preston will be 
going in the right direction. Can they get a playoff place next season? Can't see it personally unless they really surprise us in the transfer market. That's not something Preston have done for a number of years, though. Burnley at Bresson. Bristol City 1, Burnley 2. Manuel Benson scored for the fourth game in a row and he scored the same goal for the fourth game in a row. This one was his most spectacular though. He's going away from goal and still manages to bend it into the far corner. Burnley heading to the final game on 98 points. They would become only the fourth team in Championship history to get 100 points or more if they win against Cardiff on the final day, which would be some achievement, wouldn't it, Justin? It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, I, don't know, I don't know why I coined it like that. It would be a big achievement. They've been relentless this season. And the, the, the stat you pointed out about Sheffield United having enough points, if they were, well, you say 94 points, didn't you, for Sheffield United winning points. the league? 94 points. It just goes to show how uh, well persistent and good Burnley have been all season. The fact that they've been able to almost blow that 94 points out of the uh, you know, out of the way, out of the record, I don't know. To get it out of the way, essentially, it's, it's yeah. They've been great and it's, it's going to be sad because they've been such a good side to watch and not seeing Benson do what Benson does on a weekly basis is is going to be sad. There's nothing else much to say on that goal because he's done it three times. We've basically analysed it three times over. Um, but it just goes to show the quality he's got and the quality that Burnley have got. It's, yeah, good team. Very good team. Bristol City now virtually guaranteed to finish between 14th and 16th. Tommy Conway got on the score sheet here though. Bristol City fans may disagree with me on whether Nigel Pearson is the right man to lead the club into the future, but I think they'll agree with me when I say Tommy Conway is a brilliant player. Nine championship goals this season, 12 in all competitions. That is a really good tally for a 20-year-old striker, and he'll be Bristol City's top scorer in all comps if it stays as it is. But his stats are very impressive. Only five forwards have a better shot conversion rate than him in the division he scored nine league goals from unexpected goals of six this guy's a goal scorer and as he gets older he'll only find himself more and more in the right position and score more and more goals so this is only the beginning I'm sure for Tommy Conway and I think he could be one to keep an eye on next season because he could be an outside shout for top goal scorer based off what he's shown this season and you'd have thought he'd get more, a lot more really, than nine league goals next season. And Swansea's slim chances of a late playoff claim are over. They drew one all with Hull. I think we both agree it's been a disappointing season for them, Justin, but they're now up to 10th. How has that happened? <laughs> it certainly feels like it papers over the cracks of what's been a, a bit of an underwhelming campaign from their perspective. And the final games of the weekend are both on Monday. Rotherham v Middlesbrough is at one o'clock. Rotherham need to avoid defeat to virtually secure safety. Then Blackburn v Luton is at five. Blackburn need a win really to have any chance of getting in the playoffs. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and congratulations to Ipswich and Plymouth who have been promoted to the championship after both finishing in the top two in League One. We look forward to talking about them next season. Of course, two sides new for us, Justin. I can't believe it's been four years since Ipswich were last in the championship. But are you excited to have these two in the second tier, Justin? I'm looking forward to it. I, I've got a strange affiliation with Plymouth, actually, because of the amount of players who used to sign FM when they first came up to the Championship like 20-odd years ago. Like Paul Watton, Romain Lariou, uh, David mm. Frio, players like that. Really, yeah, really cool hero status players. Akos Basaki is another one as well. Oh, yeah, I was going to say. Basaki's yeah, got to be yeah. in there. But they've, they've got another really 
good young progressive team and they've got a good young progressive manager in Stephen Schumacher. They've got a lot of lone players to replace. Got to bear in mind as well that Ipswich is seen as one of the best teams ever from League One, but Plymouth have managed to stay ahead of them pretty much throughout the whole campaign, um, which just goes to show how consistent they've been under Schumacher. So, yeah, really looking forward to seeing them. And obviously Ipswich have got a good budget, got a really good manager, good functional manager. I think they could be a team with an outside chance of doing the double, so going up to the Premier League again. I think they've got that sort of momentum and good times and good budget as well. They've got a really good team and they're only growing. Yeah, they're really good young team as well. And uh, yeah, they, as I say, I, could, I do fancy them to, to, to jump up again, although it's too early to say, but just a hunch I have right now. I really like these two clubs. Plymouth have always been known for mm-hmm. travelling well. They'll be a credit to the Championship next season. And I've got a soft spot for Ipswich from when I lived there for a short period. Went to see numerous games at Portman Road. That was back in the Mick McCarthy days. So things weren't going too well then. But it is a great fan base who haven't had a lot to shout about now for essentially two decades. So hopefully this promotion is a sign that they're finally going in the right direction. But these two sides have brilliant young managers too, who I wouldn't be surprised to see managing in the top flight at some point. I rate them both very highly. They're both getting promoted with two of the best points tallies ever seen in League One. And what I'd say to both sets of fans is there's never been a better time to be promoted to the championship. Of course, you get all this commentating on you each week. But if both these teams were in the championship this season, they'd probably both have stayed up. But even as we head into next season, there's at least four or five teams who I'd already be penciling in to be fighting to stay up next season. So... I reckon both Ipswich and Plymouth can be looking towards mid-table more than a relegation battle. I mean, Sunderland have shown this season that the gap between League One and the Championship, it's not a massive chasm to get across, is it? So wouldn't surprise me if they're pushing more towards the top half of the table, maybe even the playoffs. I wouldn't rule it out at all. Coventry have agreed a new deal to carry on playing at the CBS Arena for the next five years. They had a deal in place until the end of the season after previously being given an eviction notice by Mark Ashley's Fraser's group. But Coventry owner Doug King says the new deal would provide further stability. Welcome news for everyone. No one wants to see Coventry playing outside of Coventry, do they? So this puts any worries about that happening to bed, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. I think the long-term aim should be to own a stadium themselves or build a new one elsewhere. But that stability that Doug King mentioned, five-year period, is, is absolutely massive. It's just a case of getting getting plans in place for, for a long-term option. That would be my personal preference. Obviously, every football club has to own its own football ground. And I think having that option will be a big breath of fresh air, a big sigh of relief for, for Coventry supporters. But nonetheless... I mean, they showed that they, they sold the ground out. It can be a good place to be, it's a good place to play football um, over, the, over the weekend. So, yeah, it's a step in the right direction and a good relationship hopefully forming as well. Numerous reports say Watford Jao Pedro is set to join Brighton. The 21-year-old is said to be moving for a club record fee for the Seagulls, which would mean it's going to be more than £20 million. I think I've seen around £30 million being quoted for this particular move. What do you think of this, Justin? I mean, I'm excited for Brighton because Joe Pedro in that team, Deserby team, they're going to look really, really promising and he's going to continue to develop. It's obviously a sad thing for Watford because of how poor they've been this season. You want to see good players off on the back of good seasons, but that's not been the case for them. And he's going to be a big, big hole to fill. I think we've said quite a few times that if Watford aren't ticking, Joe Pedro is not ticking, which means Joe Pedro is pivotal to how Watford do. Um so it'll be interesting to see how they replace him. We've got a good raft of young talent that they signed in January. 
or the up to the uh, quality that Jao Pedro has, not at the moment. Um, so it does leave a massive, massive hole for them and does severely maybe impact their promotion hopes for next season because he is a match winner. And you don't have those, they're very hard to get. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. For me, Watford have really let Jao Pedro down this season. He's probably the most talented player in the championship, but hasn't been able to show that too often because they've been underwhelming all season, changing manager, he's been shifted in different positions. It's It's been really unfair. And they, they could have let him go to Newcastle last summer, but they didn't. So made him stay around for this mess, which isn't his fault in the slightest, just for the avoidance of any doubt there. Footballers' careers are only so long and it has been a waste of a season from his perspective. He could have been a key part of Newcastle's success in the Premier League in an alternative universe where he did leave Vicarage Road last summer. Instead, he's getting the shit kicked out of him in the Championship each week. So I think Brighton's a good move for him. We've seen in recent years they don't do dud signings, really, do they? So they recognise how talented a boy he is. And for them to break their transfer record on him shows how talented he is. And he could be an elite elite player. Sheffield United owner Prince Abdullah says he intends to sell the club in the next four weeks despite promotion. Speaking to TalkSport he says I'm not going to sell just to anybody. I care about who owns the club next. It comes just days after the takeover by Nigerian businessman Dozi Mabusi has virtually fallen through. There must be interest if he's looking to sell in the next few weeks so that's good news from a Sheffield United perspective. Rotherham are investigating after an incident of racist abuse on social media following their loss to Cardiff on Thursday. Cedric Kipre's late goal gave the visitors victory and is thought the defender was one of those targeted along with Cardiff coach Sol Bamba. Rotherham say they're appalled by the posts and will work with South Yorkshire police. On to less depressing news. Burnley have announced plans for an open-top bus parade to celebrate winning the championship. Vincent Company and his team will attend a private reception at the Mechanics Theatre and Burnley Town Hall on the 9th of May, which is after the last day of the season. The bus will then set off on an hour-long trip to Turf Moor. West Brom midfielder Jake Livermore will leave this summer after six years at the club. You'd have thought to be a decent signing for a championship side this summer, wouldn't you? He's still only 33, Justin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was in around the England squad in 2018, wasn't he? He was in the preliminary team for the, the World Cup that Gareth Southgate took to the semi-final. God. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it depends what side of the uh, fence you sit on with him. He's a good experienced player. He's a good leader. He's a good community uh, asset as well, as he's shown with West Brom, which is big for football clubs. Um, I think just creating that connection between the team and supporters uh, in that sense. So, yeah, he certainly would be a good signing for quite a few teams, even as a backup for a promotion chasing team. I'd, I'd take him on board. You need those sort of characters around. So, yeah, not a surprise that West Brom aren't retaining because of budgets, but certainly quite a few teams I'd, I would hope would be in for him. Bristol City defender Rob Atkinson has signed a new deal to keep him at the club until 2026, despite him not playing since February with an ACL injury. And former Middlesbrough and Sunderland midfielder Julio Arca has been named as the new manager of South Shields. They compete in the seventh tier. Always confuses me because South Shields is not very south at all, but good luck to Julio. Uh, let's do the polls just in this part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who will do better in the championship next season, Ipswich or Plymouth? I'm guessing you're saying Ipswich, Justin. I would argue Ipswich. Yeah. Just the budget is a massive, massive help. 
Yeah, the listeners massively agree with you. 79% of people said Ipswich, 21% said Plymouth. How will Sheffield United do in the Premier League? Relegation, just stay up, stay up comfortably. Ah, it's just, it's just, I think they'll get relegated, but it, I've seen quite a few supporters say they'll set the points record. They won't. That Derby team was garbage. The Sheffield United team's got a lot more about <laughs> it than that Derby team has, let me assure you. Um, I think... They'll get relegated, but they won't be as poor as their last relegated season in the Premier League, I think. A bit harsh, but I just don't think they've got enough in their squad to stay up. I think right now I'd agree. I'd say relegation. I think they could stay up if they do some really good recruitment, but I think they'll have to get a takeover done for that has stand any chance of happening. 70% of people said relegation. 27% said just stay up. Only 3% said stay up comfortably. And finally, do you care about the King's coronation? Yes or no? No. No. I didn't even realise. I thought it was on the Monday. I just assumed it was. So I was like, oh, I'll go to the football. So there you go. I couldn't give two shits. Are we not being loyal to our country if we don't care about the King's coronation? It's great. It's a respect. It's 2023. AI is going to take over in five years. Can Charles stop AI? I don't think he can. <laughs> I'd like to see a fight between <laughs> King Charles and AI. Um, 86% of people said no. 14% said yes, which is, a uh, yeah, make of that what you will. Now it's time for Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. Yes, it's time to gather the family around the radio to see if Justin can actually win this game. It's quite simple, really. So I'm going to say a championship player, past or present. Justin then has to respond with a player whose first name starts with the same letter of the surname of the player I just said. So, for example, I'd say Chubrakpom. He says Alex Scott. And we keep going until someone takes too long to respond, about five seconds. Or someone says a player who hasn't played in the championship. Or if someone says a player who's already been said... If we think a player has been said who hasn't played in the championship or has already been said, the other player can challenge it. However, if that player is wrong, they lose. And when we say play in the championship, I mean since it was rebranded in 2004. Justin, we'll do first to three. You can go first. <laughs> Jamie McAllister. Ooh. Uh, Matt Taylor. Tom Sang. Sam Winnell. Willis Sula. Oscar Estupinan. Ed. Ed. Ah! Yeah, nuts. Yeah. You nearly got me then. You nearly got me there. I don't know why S is so difficult. It really shouldn't be. Um, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? 15 love to me. Um, I'll go first, Justin. Uh, let's go with Julio Arca. Julio Arca. Um, Ajay Alise. Eddie Lewis. <laughs> Shudders. Lewis Graben. <laughs> Gary O'Neill. Oh the O's. I don't think we've I don't think we've had O's come up. I now they're all flooding. did one about a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, no, and then Oscar Supernand, it's, like, it's not going to work. It, I, and then Oliver's Oliver's flooded into my Oliver into Skip, my head. Oh, yeah. Oliver Oliver Cooper as well. Thirty love, oh dear. Justin, you can go. The rallies are getting more competitive though in this in this. Today. Yeah, they're getting so, better. There's yeah. there's definite signs of improvement. It's not as miserable as it was before. <laughs> my go, uh, Dan Byrne. Brad Potts. Pots, Peter 
Oh, he's a manager. Oh, come on, Peter. Whittingham? Yeah. Who are you thinking of? Peter Grant. <laughs> Who's Peter Grant? <laughs> well, he came up on a... Um, did he or didn't he, I think? Did he? Yeah. Not a deal, maybe, a I don't know, Craig Bryson or something. He came up on a quiz and you argued. Well, I mean, he, he's not played since 2002, so he wouldn't have counted anyway. No. Um, <laughs> he's played the championship. You, you even said Peter. I thought you'd you'd have known, like, arguably the best player ever in championship history, Justin. I know. It's it's imagine. It's amazing how blank you go when just trying to think of names. Hmm. That means it's 3-0 to me this week, and it means Justin has now... I think we played this four times. I think it's about twelve yeah, one to me in terms of rounds. <laughs> this is just this is just a you know a nice nice thing to end up on yeah a nice thing to end the podcast on. That's all it is. This isn't a competition. We're just enjoying yeah, ourselves. But here. It is a competition, Justin. I'd like it to be something interesting where we actually see a different winner each week. But I'm just blitzing it each week but nonetheless we'll have to whether we play this game or not I'm not too sure in the future because it's clearly not working out is it Uh, but there you go ladies and gentlemen this has been the second tier podcast now of course we've got two games on Monday and then a game on Thursday so shall we do Thursday's episode late on Thursday night Justin that makes sense doesn't it because otherwise we'll be doing it on Thursday morning and be completely missing out a big game on Thursday night well, we did this. Yeah, we, we. I mean, we missed a big game on Thursday night this week where Cardiff. Yeah, but we had to because up. there was a game every yeah, week. Exactly. Every day. Exactly, every day. Yeah. No, we, we can record on Thursday night. We'll, we'll we'll throw something out for the listeners on on the eves. If anyone wants to listen on a night shift, they'll they'll have that. I imagine. Yeah, but you got it Friday morning as well. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We shall record our next episode on Thursday night where we react to the three games we've got coming up between now and then. We'll also talk about any of the news from the past few days. And of course, we'll preview the final day of the season. Me and Justin will each make our predictions on who's finishing in the top six, who is going down, and we can't bloody wait to chat about that then. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Rydux. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.